so excited that you guys are here with us today. Hopefully your week's going well. Um, first off, we just want to wish you guys a Merry Christmas. We won't have any service next week. Um, we usually take that last Sunday between Christmas and New Year's off um, so we can enjoy it with family and just spend a time of rest and relax. Um, we just hope you guys all have a great Christmas so you stay safe and healthy and just have a great time. Um, secondly, I just want to remind you guys um, that the end of the year is coming up. So a lot of people like to give by the end of the year. So at, uh, works out with all taxes and all that stuff. So I just want to remind you guys that if you want to give, you can mail it to our PO box. Our uh, address is on the website. You can give online. There'll be a link down below. Um, yeah, just want to remind you guys about that. Um, I also want to remind you guys that if you have any prayer requests, anything that you need us to be praying for, any needs or anything at all, there'll be another link down there below um, to our website where you can send us a request. Our staff can be praying for you. We can help you in any way we can. Um, yeah, just want to remind you guys that. Have a good day.
God, we thank you that uh, we get to sing, we get to worship, we get to uh, just be in this time together um, as families as we look to uh, celebration of Christmas this next week. God, just pray for everyone as we kind of look towards that. And uh, God, we thank you um, for sending your son for us to give us a reason to to pause, to think, to reflect, um, to have a deeper meaning and understanding of what it truly means to um, love your people so much that you would send your son to ultimately die on a cross for us uh, to be able to sing these songs and to um, just worship you. And so God, we love you. We're grateful for you. We thank you for that gift. And uh, we thank you for this time together. And so Lord, we ask this in your name. All right, Health Assembly, have a wonderful week and Merry Christmas from Jordan and Eliza. Hey, good morning, church, and Merry Christmas. We are almost there. What a wonderful time of the year. As they like to say, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And I agree with that as we celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Hey, real quick, before we get into the sermon, let me emphasize, I think they already shared it, but let me reemphasize two really important things. One, we will not have service next week. We are closed every year since the inception of Hope Assembly. We have always closed the Sunday between Christmas and New Year. We want to encourage you to spend some time with your family, spend some time seeking the Lord, just rest and enjoy the season. There will be no live stream. There will be no service whatsoever next week week. Number two, if you would like to participate, we have been so grateful for everybody's generosity as we have worked through this nine months of pandemic so far. Um, and it has been difficult for all of us, for sure. Uh, we've made a lot of cuts. We have uh, really tightened our belts, if you will, uh, here at Hope Assembly. But if you'd like to get your end year-end giving in, now is the time to do that. You can visit our website, uh, uh, hopeassembly.org, and follow the giving link there. It's completely secure. Or you can mail in a check, if you'd like, to P.O. Box 208 here in Wilsonville, 97070. Um, and that's if you would like to participate. That's for your consideration. At Hope Assembly, we have three sort of a mantra around three sort of ideas on giving that we ask people to give generously, cheerfully, and regularly. Um, and so if this is your home church and you need to get in your end of the year giving or if Hope Assembly has been a blessing to you, those are the ways you can do it. Anything that has been postmarked or in before the 31st of uh, December will count towards your 2020 giving statements and for tax purposes and those kind of things. So we appreciate all of your generosity. God has been good to us and we are thankful for that for sure. Well, I am super excited. We are closing our Advent series, our Honest Advent series with part four this morning. And I hope you've had the opportunity to be joining us or following along through this book by Scott Erickson, Honest Advent. This series is based off this book. Uh, we gave out a number of copies of this book uh, so that you could do a daily devotional. That daily devotional should end on the 24th, Christmas Eve. You should be reading chapter 25 on Christmas Eve, uh, preparing for it. And if you're behind or ahead, that's all good too. Whatever. Just read the book. I hope you're enjoying that book. But uh, my life group that I uh, participated in this week, we were 
discussing um, this book. I got copies to most of the people in our life group, most of the families in our life group. And this was the question um, as I sort of led the discussion this week. This was the question that I presented to our life group. What has been the most unexpected moment from the book? And I think that this book is beautifully written. I think probably for a lot of us, it sort of has uh, shaken up some of our preconceived notions about Advent and about uh, the birth of Christ and Mary and all those kind of things. So I wanted to ask, like, what has been the most unexpected moment from the book? And for me, as I've completed the book now, for me, the most, maybe the most unexpected moment, at least for today, the most unexpected moment was this quote by Scott Erickson in the book. I think it's chapter 25 where he says, do not be afraid could be a legit substitution for Merry Christmas. Do not be afraid could be a legit substitution for Merry Christmas. This is what I want to kind of talk about this morning. Now, this this statement or or this this way in which uh, God through His messengers. Uh, tries to ease the hearts of the people that he's coming to. This this phrase, be not afraid, is a recurring theme of the incarnation or the story of the incarnation. And I want to talk a little bit about why that is. And now I'm going to share briefly uh, four main characters here where we see this recurring theme of be not afraid. Number one is Zachariah. Now, for those of you who don't know, or maybe you're new to the story, Zachariah is married to Elizabeth. Zachariah is a priest who takes care of the temple. He is married to Elizabeth. They're older in age, um, and Elizabeth has been barren their entire marriage. And and the story of Zechariah uh, goes like this. He goes to, his, his lot is drawn for him to go take care of the incense in the te temple to make sure that it is continually burning. As he goes into the temple to take care of the incense, uh, Zechariah <clears throat> sees an angel of the Lord appear to the right of the altar of incense. Now, Zechariah is not the most high priest, so he doesn't have the opportunity to go into the most holy place at this moment. He can't actually go before the presence of the Lord. So he's, on the, he's in the inner court, not the outer court, but the inner court. And he is doing the business of a Levitical priest. And the an angel of the Lord appears to him. I'm guessing this is the first time this has ever happened to Zechariah. Appears to him. And here's what happens. It's in Luke chapter 1. Now you can read the whole account. And I'm going to say this multiple times. You can read the whole account. And I would encourage you to do so. Um, but in verse 11, here's what happens. It says this. And there appeared to him, this is Luke chapter 1, verse 11. There appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Now, keep in mind that a lot of times when these priests would go in to minister, there was always concern that they had sinned themselves and that they would be struck dead in the presence of the Lord. So Zechariah probably has this on his mind when the angel of the Lord appears to him next to the altar of incense. Fear fell upon him, but the angel said to him, listen to this, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And he goes on to explain, the angel goes on to explain why he calls his name John. And this is John the Baptist. This is referring to the cousin of Jesus, John the Baptist, who was born to prepare a way for Jesus. But let's move on in the story. Mary 
a, a big player in the incarnation story, right? Mary in Luke chapter 1 and we know that Mary is a virgin. She's betrothed to Joseph to be her husband. Um, she is not, they have not officially been married yet. They have plans to be married. Um, and this, the angel comes to, uh, Gabriel comes to Mary, verse 28 of Luke chapter one. Here's what he says. He came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, most of us would be like, yeah, this is great. What a great way to, uh, to encounter the presence of the Lord. Greetings, the Lord is with you. But this is what happens to Mary, verse 29. She was greatly troubled at the saying. And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And when we talk about being greatly troubled, the context gives us an idea of what this means by greatly troubled because verse 30, the angel said to her, do not be afraid. He says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, again, read the entire account. He goes on to explain to her that she's going to bear and conceive a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel or Jesus. And um, she's like, how can this be for I have not known a man? It's the Holy Spirit will come upon you or overshadow you. The power of God will overshadow you and explains what we know as the Immaculate Conception. How about Joseph? Joseph's account is found over in Matthew chapter 1. And he's, he's referenced over in Luke as well. But Matthew chapter 1, we get sort of this, this encounter that Joseph has. And uh, let's look at verses 19 uh, and 20 here. Uh, Joseph, the husband of Mary, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So Joseph has found out that Mary, um, who he is supposed to marry, um, has child. Um, and he, being a just man, does not want to shame Mary, so he's going to try to dissolve this relationship quietly, right? And so here's what happens, verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, listen to this, do not fear. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived is in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So Joseph has this fear in his heart about what is happening, and the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, Joseph, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Or how about the shepherds? Let's get outside of the, the family of Mary, Joseph, and, and Zachariah. Let's talk about the shepherds, just the common shepherds out tending to their flocks on the hills at night. This is found in Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 8 through 10. In the same region where the shepherds were the shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. The same region is Bethlehem where Jesus was born. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were feel, filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I will bring you good news of great joy that, you, that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Fear not, do not be afraid. I was thinking about these scriptures when I read that quote from Scott Erickson, be not afraid could be a legit substitution 
for Merry Christmas. Matter of fact, when Jesus was born, not one time did the angel show up to somebody and say, hey, Merry Christmas. The angel showed up and said, hey, do not be afraid or be not afraid. I think this is important because fear tends to be our natural inclination. We tend to be inclined towards fear. We all, every single one of us have fears. And some of our fears are reasonable and some of our fears are not. If you're being honest, like me, you recognize sometimes I'm afraid of things and it's just not reasonable. I'm afraid uh, I've made up stories in my mind about what's going on. Like when you're a child and you're afraid to get out of bed to go to the restroom because of what might be lurking in the closet under your bed in the hallway in the dark of night. That's an unreasonable fear, but we've all experienced that. We all have fears. Some of them are innate. Some of them we're born with. And some of them are learned fears. Um, for instance, they say that like an innate fear. They say that everybody's born with two fears. A fear of falling um, and a fear of loud noises. And, and it doesn't matter how old you are. Um, an infant has a fear of falling. Has a, a fear will be shooken by a loud noise. And so those are innate things. And then we have learned fears. And I think a lot of us can understand these learned fears. Maybe you're afraid of water because um, you never learned to swim and your parents never taught you or your parents were afraid of the water themselves. And so they instilled a fear of water into you. Whatever. Those are learned fears. Some of our fears are external. They're fears of things that can happen to us, a fear of getting in a car accident. Uh, my wife recently, oh, it's been about a year ago now, was in a car accident, and, and now she has a legitimate, reasonable fear of what could happen as we drive because of her experience. It was a learned fear, um, but it's a fear of external things that can happen to us. And then we also have some fears um, or some of our fears that are internal fears. These are sort of the things that we talk about to ourselves, the internal dialogues that we have. This would be like fear of failure, fear, fear of being worthy or good enough, uh, not good enough, fears of rejection, fears of um, inadequacy. You, you can name these things and, and look, we all struggle with internal fears as well. Let's, let's be honest here. And I think about some of the, the stories over the years in regards to fear. You probably have some too. I remember just uh, almost, uh, wasn't this last summer, but in 2019, we had the opportunity to take young people through Young Life up to um, Malibu, Canada. And I remember uh, watching my wife, Karen, and my son, Josiah, overcome their fears or in some ways overcome their fears of heights as we did a high ropes course um, the leaders, myself included, Josiah and Karen, were supposed to help our students overcome their fears by leading them through these ropes courses. Well, Karen and Josiah both are deathly afraid of heights. Like they hate to be up high. And I watched them as they shook and trembled and grasped upon the ropes, working their way slowly and methodically through the ropes course, trying their best to overcome their fear, their learned fear of heights. 
I remember one time myself being in uh, a great fear as I was lost in the Philippines in Manila with a handful of students um, from Colorado and we were hours lost in the dead of night in the middle of Manila Philippines. No way of knowing how to get home on our own. No way of being able to communicate with the folks in the Philippines about where we needed to go or how we could get there. Only by the grace of God were we rescued from that situation. I remember a deep, deep fear in my heart of what is going to happen to us or uh, fear when we are when myself and another young man were extorted or attempted to be extorted in India as we were getting off of a transfer bus from the international to the domestic airport we were being told that we must pay for the free uh, shuttle ride and I remember the fear in my heart is the is the military soldier holding his uh, military rifle, telling us that we better pay, blocking the door for us to get out. And uh, just spoiler alert, we we lived, um, but we made a way out of there. And it was so much fear that I immediately, as we got to safety, I immediately had a migraine headache and felt sick to my stomach because of the great amount of fear or the internal fears that I have in regards to just pastoring. Like, am I actually qualified to pastor? Am I actually qualified to lead people in the things of God? The inadequacies of pastoring, the concerns of people who will leave, people who will be offended, people who will call names, me, myself, saying things or doing things that are maybe contrary to the kingdom of God out of my own insecurities that would cause problems for people. Those are real fears that I carry in pastoring. And we all have fears. Where does this fear of God come from? Where does this fear of God's messengers come from that we see in like Zechariah, Mary, Joseph, and, and other accounts, if you go look at them, where does it come from? Well, I believe that it's a learned fear. And I think we could go all the way back to Genesis 3 and find it in Adam. That in the fall, Genesis 3, in the fall, where they took and they eat of, ate of the fruit and they recognized that they were naked. And because they recognized that they were naked, they were ashamed. The scripture tells us that this sort of shame, fear, and control came in in the garden. What happens? The man and his wife, Adam and his wife, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, the Bible says. Why? What happens? Adam, you know, God says, Adam, where are you? And God says, look, we, or Adam says, we heard you. And I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself from you. Shame, fear, and control. And from that moment on, it seems to be uh, what was promulgated throughout all of history. Like this was replicated from Adam on that since the fall, the appearing of God or God's messengers has been met with great fear. And not necessarily the sort of awe, wonder, and reverent type of fear. No, and that's, uh, you know, understandably they do have that kind of fear, but they, they have this deep fear of like, what is this? Why is God coming to me? Because this had been learned and had been passed down. Like, think about it. These guys, their whole history is wrapped up in the creation story. The fall with Adam and Eve and being banished from the garden. The uh, story of the flood. The story of the Tower of Babel. 
How about this? They are, they are fully aware of Moses in Mount Sinai. And then only Moses would go to the top of the mountain and he would ascend up into the cloud, into the smoke, into the fire, into the, the lightning and the, and the rumblings from the mountain. And they were warned that they should not go or even touch the mountain lest they die. Like this, this was the presence of God to them. Or how about the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God, it was the manifest presence of God in their midst. How about the Ark of the Covenant? They have stories that they tell about when David tried to bring the Ark of the Covenant into the city of David, into Jerusalem. And remember when it got to Nacon's threshing floor and the oxen stumbled because they had placed it on a cart and Uzzah, a priest who has every right to handle the Ark, but no right to mishandle the ark, reaches out to steady the ark with all of the good intentions you could have. And he is struck dead in that moment because he has touched the presence of God. This is learned fear that they have when God's presence shows up to make a declaration to them. They wonder what sort of declaration, what sort of visitation is this? Fear seems to often be the first reaction of those who are called. And I get it. Who is it that doesn't tremble with fear when invited to participate in the story of God? When invited in particular for Zechariah, Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, the Magi, you name it. Who is it that doesn't tremble with fear when invited to participate in the incarnation? To care for or to represent God in God's presence. But God's response every single time is, be not afraid. As I was reflecting on this, just think with me for a moment. Maybe this is one reason why God chose to be born. Have you ever thought and reflected upon how God, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, who was, who is, who is to come, would choose to come and to be, be, to be born, to be an infant? The infinite one becoming, choosing to become an infant? Maybe this is one reason why God chose to be born, to be fully incarnate with us, to come as a newborn so that we might become familiar with God, familiar with God's presence, to hold him close. I'm sure most of us listening have had the opportunity to hold a newborn baby. You don't hold a newborn baby loosely or recklessly. You hold a newborn baby closely, to hold them close, to smell the fragrance of God in the flesh. There is nothing like the scent of a newborn baby, nothing. To embrace the innocence of God with us, to handle the holy. So our inclination oftentimes 
is fear. And perhaps this is why God tried to break down our fears by fully incarnating as an infant child that could be handled, that could be held, that could be cared for. And his invitation to Mary and Joseph and Zachariah and the shepherds and ultimately to you and me is be not afraid. The incarnation is an invitation to be not afraid. He says to Zachariah, be not afraid for your prayer is heard. Your wife will bear a son. He says to Mary, be not afraid. You have found favor with God and you shall conceive and bear a child. He says to Joseph, be not afraid. Take Mary as your wife and she shall bear a son and he shall save his people. He says to the shepherds, be not afraid for I bring you good news of great joy that shall shall be for all people. Be not afraid is his invitation to you and me. God inviting them and us to participate in the incarnation story, to co-labor with God. And think about it. Their yes gave us all access to this Jesus, to this God incarnate. Now, this plays out so beautifully in the temple. And again, you can go read this entire account. I'm going to paraphrase it, but you can go read this entire account in Luke chapter 2. When Jesus, verses 21, I think, uh, 21 through 38, when Jesus is brought to the temple. Now, keep in mind, in the temple, the place where God's presence presence had dwelt in unapproachable glory, meaning very few people, indeed only the high priest to go into the actual presence of God before the Ark of the Covenant only once a year and by blood sacrifice, right? So God's presence had dwelt in the temple in unapproachable glory. Jesus is now taken into the temple to be presented, circumcised as was their custom on the eighth day. And God's presence all of a sudden in that moment becomes approachable in Christ, becomes accessible in Christ, becomes handleable. I'm not sure that's a word, but we're going to use it. Handleable in Christ. And we see this played out beautifully in Simeon and in Anna the prophetess. They're not referenced barely at all, if at all, beyond this story here in Luke chapter 2. And they only get a few verses. But here's what happens. Simeon, by the Spirit of God, he was told in a dream that he was not going to see death until he saw the consolation of Israel. And Simeon wakes up one morning and is led by the Spirit of God to the temple. And he goes to the temple and all of the hustle and bustle of the temple, all of the people who are coming and going, making sacrifices, dedicating their children to the Lord, Simeon sees Jesus and he goes to Jesus and the scripture says this, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple 
And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms, blessed God, and said, go read this whole account, but think about this. Simeon, a righteous and devout man, goes to the temple and he sees Jesus. And he immediately approaches Jesus, God incarnate, the very presence of the living God in Jesus. And he gathers him up. He holds him. He grabs him so that he takes him in his arms so that he can bless him. Think about Uzzah who just tried to stable the ark, the presence of God, and was immediately struck dead. Here is Simeon. Why? Because God has made himself in Christ accessible, approachable, handleable, holdable. Simeon pulls him close. He holds him close. He takes him in his arms and he declares a blessing over Jesus He's participating in the incarnation. The prophetess Anna, who had been a widow for decades and had been every day worshiping in the temple. And the Lord had said to her, uh, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Israel. So she sees uh, Jesus, the prophetess, and she begins to declare, this is the one who we've been waiting for, for the redemption. So she too approaches the presence of Jesus, perhaps as Simeon was holding Jesus and declaring this blessing. Anna, the prophetess, comes and also testifies to the very presence of God now incarnate in this baby Jesus who was being dedicated at the temple, a temple where God's presence up to this point had been unapproachable for any, just everyone, just anyone. And now in this moment, Simeon and Anna have approached the very presence of God wrapped up in the baby Jesus. Be not afraid is God's invitation for them and for us to participate in the incarnation. So let's be people who participate. Now Mary, in my opinion, Mary has the most profound response to God's invitation. The most profound response to God's invitation. Remember, she, by all accounts... She, by all accounts, has the most to lose in this incarnation story. She has the most to lose. Her participation in the incarnation will cost more than anybody else's participation in the incarnation. And she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, it's really important to notate here that when uh, Gabriel says, you are blessed and highly favored, and she says, what is this? And he says, don't be afraid. Um, you're going to conceive and bear a son. And she's like, how can this be since I have not known a man? And essentially saying, I'm a virgin. And Gabriel says, well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of God will overshadow you. 
It's very important to notate that God is not imposing his will upon Mary. That Mary is just a sort of, has no say in the matter whatsoever. That's not the case. She is an active participant in the incarnation. She is co-laboring with God. She made the decision to co-labor with God, to co-create with God. By her declaration, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So Mary yields herself to the Spirit. Mary says, I want to participate. I am a servant. My life does not belong to me. I am a servant of God. Therefore, let it be to me according to where I will co-labor with. I will participate in this incarnation story. And through Mary, God became familiar in Christ. God became approachable. God became accessible. Her yes gave us access to God's approachable, accessible, handleable, holdable presence. Now, this Christmas season, here's what I want you to get. In a similar way, God invites us to participate in this incarnation story. To also be the love of God incarnate. To represent God as ambassadors. Earlier in this series, we talked about love being the animating force behind, or the animating source of the incarnation. You could say the animating force behind the incarnation. However you want to say that. But love was the motivation. Why? God is love. And God has called us to be like him, to be his ambassadors, to, to, uh, to demonstrate, to represent what it means to be love right here and right now. To represent God as ambassadors to be the love of God incarnate to our neighbors and our coworkers, our family, our friends, our enemies. And our initial response to this invitation, uh, our initial response may be fear. I mean, after all, who is it that doesn't tremble with fear when invited to participate in the incarnation story? Our initial response might be fear. But may our final response be our participation. May our final response be our willingness to yield, like Mary, to the work of the Spirit. May our final response be our declaration, like Mary's. Behold, I too am a servant of the Lord. So let it be to me according to your word. As Scott Erickson says in his book, may you... Be not afraid, for love has drawn near. Also, you could say, Merry Christmas, for love has drawn near. Let us join Mary and Joseph, Zechariah, the shepherds, the magi, the disciples. Let us, uh, let us join them in the incarnation story. That when we say to our friends and our family, to our neighbors, to those in our community, Merry Christmas, may we also be saying, be not afraid, 
for love has drawn near. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful that Jesus came as a baby, put on flesh, and was born as Emmanuel, God with us. That we now have access to the presence of God through the incarnation. That the presence of God in Christ was able to be held, was able to be, to be accessed. Oh God, thank you that we have access to the presence of God through Jesus Christ. And through the willing participation of those like Joseph and Mary, who said, let it be to me according to your word. May we also participate with them in this incarnation story to be the love of God incarnate here in this world today. May we be not afraid as we celebrate this Christmas season because Jesus has proved that love has drawn near and love overcomes every single time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you once again. Merry Christmas to you. Before you go, let me pray this blessing over you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you. Merry Christmas. We will be closed next week. We'll see you in the new year.